Hello, my friends. Michael Youssef here, and I just wanted to thank you for connecting with Leading the Way. Our entire team is wholly committed to passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth of God's Word, and it cannot be done without you. Learn more about what God has charged us to do around the world by clicking around ltw.org. That's ltw.org. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you seek to serve Him. In my lifetime, our world has experienced a lot of horrifying events. But perhaps not anyone that is a crisis that is as bad as this one in terms of being global. While some are eager to fix blame, others looking for scapegoats, and yet others who are anxious for the quick fix. And then there are even others who are living in fear and terror. News alert! News alert! Human nature had never changed. Had never changed. Because you're going to find each of these reactions that I just enumerated, each of these reactions, you see them throughout history. (laughs) In the pages of the Scripture alone, whenever disaster struck, how they were anxious to fix a blame. Every time they faced a challenge, they bitterly complained every time they saw a trouble or a problem, instead of crying out to God, because after all, they saw with their own eyes time and again how God has intervened on their behalf. Time and again, they saw how God supernaturally and miraculously opened a highway in the middle of the sea, and yet their attitude persisted. Throughout biblical history, you see it. Whenever a disaster struck, we see the same reaction on the part of many people. The age-old questions always pop up. Where is God in all of this? How can a loving, merciful God allow the loss of life? How, uh, why didn't He, the all-knowing God, uh, stop this pandemic from happening? How good is God in times like this? And, and if God is not all-powerful, why should we worship Him? <laughs> and to make things worse, there are some I call them religious leaders. They're not really Christian leaders. One of them says, times like this make you doubt the existence of God. Really? (laughs) Islamists, pundits, are saying, Allah is angry because we have failed to impose Sharia over the world population. Others are pointing fingers at all sorts of political leaders and and government leaders, and fingers are pointing everywhere. (laughs) Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. So the question is, what is the answer? What is the answer? And as you know, I often found the answer only in the Word of God. Beloved, in fact, today I'm going to show you that the answer is found in the words of Jesus. (laughs) You say, well, did Jesus have something to say about the coronavirus or COVID-19? Well, not quite, but yes. (laughs) Listen carefully. It's found in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. Now there were some present at that time 
who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate, that's Pontius Pilate, who sent Jesus to the cross, whose blood Pilate had mixed together with the blood of sacrifice. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you likewise shall perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, Do you think they were more guilty than all the others who are living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you likewise shall perish. Apparently, there were two tragedies have taken place one after another during that time of Jesus' earthly life. They both brought a colossal loss of life. One incident took place when a group of Galileans, these are the northerners, Galilee and Jerusalem, (laughs) the north and the south, covered geographical Israel. These Galileans came all the way down to Jerusalem, to the temple, to offer sacrifices to God, as prescribed in the law of Moses. But what does Pontius Pilate and the Roman rulers do? They go in there, and they slaughter them, so much so that their blood was flowing with the blood of the sacrifices right there in the temple while they're worshiping. Man-made disaster. These Roman rulers were ruthless. So horrific that act was that the blood of the sacrifices and the people who were slaughtered by Pontius Pilate were flowing down the altar. The second one was a natural disaster. There was a tower, the Tower of Siloam. It was basically inside the southeast side of the Jerusalem wall. And it collapsed. And when it collapsed, there were 18 people underneath it. They were crushed to death. One disaster was man-made. The other disaster was a natural disaster. At that time, during Jesus' earthly life, these two disasters have taken place. And back then, people were as curious about both the natural and the man-made disaster as the people of our day. And that's understandable. But they were anxious to draw false conclusions, as our generation does. They were ready to pass false judgment, just as our generation does. But instead of asking, why, Lord, have you allowed this, which is okay to ask why. Bible never tells us not to ask why. It's okay to ask why. But instead of asking why, their worldview was such that they came to certain erroneous conclusions— Why didn't God stop this? Or, are these people were worse sinners than the others? That's why they died the way they did? (laughs) Or, why some die, others recover? Or, that those people must have been done something really horrible. They must have done something really bad that they met such a tragic end. 
erroneous conclusions. It goes on and on and on. You read it in the press, and you see it all the time. These sorts of false conclusions are not new. (laughs) They are not new that we see today. These sorts of conclusions are as old as the book of Job. You remember Job's friends, (laughs) Job's comforter? And they kept saying to Job, you must have done something really, really bad. You must be really a very bad sinner that these things are happening in your life. And surely, if you were right with God, these things would not have happened to you. Hmm. I heard people condemning like that. And there were so many erroneous conclusions They were floating around during the time of Job, or floating around during the time of Jesus. They are floating around now. (laughs) In fact, the dominant conclusion of our secular, hypocritic, confused culture is coming from people who do not believe in a personal God, who refuse to believe in a personal God, who scoff at the thought of a personal God, people who have rejected the notion of a personal God, people who have no qualms of killing babies in their mother's womb, and yet the same people point to these tragedies and say, see, we're right. See, we were right all along. Your God is not (laughs) all-powerful or not all-loving. We are right all along not to believe in your God. We are right all along to reject the notion that there is a a powerful God, an all-loving God, an all-controlling God, all at the same time. So, what's the answer? I go back to Jesus again. What's the answer to any erroneous conclusion that you hear, or you may even make? As I said, Jesus gives us the answer. I don't have the answers, thank God. Jesus does. And here is what Jesus said. When he was questioned about these true tragic events during his earthly time, he said, I tell you, no. They're not worse than any other sinners. They've not done something horrific. No, 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 no. said, but unless you repent, you likewise shall perish. You know, in one sentence, in one sentence, our Lord Jesus summarized the entire Bible. You say, how come? Well, first of all, you have to understand God is not the author of evil. God is not the author of evil. But evil came into the world when Adam and Eve surrendered the birthright of their stewardship of planet Earth to Satan. When Adam and Eve fell into Satan's deception, they lost the deeds to planet Earth. And then, at that moment, evil entered into the world. When Adam and Eve handed the property deeds of planet Earth to the devil, which was their stewardship, God handed it to them. And by their being deceived by the devil and disobeying God, they handed it to Satan. You see, before Adam and Eve were deceived, before they fell in Satan's deception, Satan had no power over the earth. Did you know that? He had no power over the earth. But when they fell in his deception, 
They gave him the power. They handed him the power. And from that time on, sin and suffering, disease and illness, viruses and germs, earthquakes and storms, tornadoes and hurricanes, floods and fires, death and suffering, all became the consequences of that surrender on the part of Adam and Eve. And from the time of Adam and Eve on, Satan has been having a free range, as it were, to cause illnesses, diseases, suffering of all kinds. And ultimately, his desire is to take many people with him into eternal suffering, which the Bible calls hell. Ah, but God provided a way out. God provided a way of escape. God provided the answer. God provided victory over sin and the grave. God provided a solution to suffering. And what is that answer? The answer that He left the glories of heaven and came to our earth, living an ordinary life, but without sin, dying on a cross and rising again. Why? So that He may retake what Adam and Eve have lost to Satan, so that he may arrest God's property deeds that Adam and Eve gave to Satan, so that Jesus may restore to all those who believe in Him, all those who put their trust in Him, all those who come under His power, all those who come under His authority, that He may give them power to conquer sin and the grave. And from the time of Jesus on, anyone who wants to have power over sin, power over suffering, power over death, can come to Jesus and receive grace. Not just in this lifetime, not just in this lifetime, but forever and ever and ever, eternity in heaven with Jesus. See, the moment you come to Christ— That's the moment your eternal life begins. It doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins the moment you say, Yes, Lord, come into my life. Forgive my sins. That moment your eternal life has begun. The Bible said that we are seated in the heavenly places, that literally God can see us already in heaven. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Question. What was Jesus saying to his contemporaries? when they were facing such a question about the crisis that they were facing at the time. He was saying is what he's saying to us. He's saying these people who died in the temple in cold blood by the ruthless Roman vice-regent, or these people who were crushed to death in the Tower of Siloam, they are no worse sinner than anybody else. But for your sake— for your sake. Take this tragedy as God's warning for you. For your sake, be forewarned. Be forewarned. Be forewarned that God's judgment is coming upon all who refuse to believe in Jesus. Be forewarned yourself (laughs) that God's judgment is coming upon all those who would not repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Be forewarned yourself 
that God's ultimate judgment is upon all those who refuse to accept the gift of eternal life as they repent of their sins. They will be forever in a constant pain and suffering. So be forewarned. In fact, that judgment is going to be far worse than any coronavirus or any suffering, any disease, any illness. It will be more tragic, more severe, and unending suffering. So these are loving warnings from the hand of God. So what Jesus would say to us who are still alive. I remember a story. Some of you may not remember this. In the 70s, there was a butcher, dictator. In fact, our United Nations representative, Senator Monaghan, I remember one time gave a speech in the United Nations back in the 70s, and he called him the butcher of Uganda, the butcher of Kampala. Idi Amin butchered a lot of Christians. He literally, single-handedly, killed about half a million Christians. There was an Anglican bishop by the name of Festo Cavendry. I had the privilege of knowing him. He was supernaturally escaped and came to the United States, and he was in California when I was in California in 1977. When Idi Amin was defeated and the Ugandan people rose against him and and they brought back life again. Bishop Fister Kavengeri comes back to Uganda, and they gave him a hero's welcome. He said, stop. I am not a hero. Those who died for Christ are the heroes. And then he said something very important. He said, so many of your fellow Christians were murdered by Idi Amin, but you're still alive. You need to go home and ask God, why? Why? Because He has a plan for your life. And if you ignore that plan, we're no better than the ones who died. But for those of us who are living today, Jesus would say to those of us who have not lost our lives, those of us who have not been touched by COVID-19 or any other thing, According to Luke 13, verses 1 to 5, Jesus would say, those who have died or been in the United States or in Europe or China, whatever they may be, those who died around the world, they are no more sinners than those who are sleeping in the safety of their home in the United States or in Canada or Australia, whatever they may be. So what is Jesus' answer? What is He saying? to those who are asking, where is God in times of disaster? Jesus would say, you are asking the wrong question. The question is not, where is God when these terrible things happen? The question is not, what did these people do to deserve death? These are erroneous questions. The question that you should be asking is this, Have I examined my life? Have I examined my heart to see if I have escaped from eternal death to eternal life? The question is, have I repented of my sins and assured of eternal life in heaven with Jesus? The question is, have I made provision of escaping from death to eternal life? It's the question. The question is, 
If you die today, can you be absolutely certain that the moment you close your eyes in death, you are in the presence of Jesus in heaven? That is the question. Because if your answer is no, you can do that today. Today. The Bible said today is the day of salvation. Do it today. Unless you repent, said Jesus, you likewise will perish. Here's a fact. Hear me right, please. This is a fact. We all will physically die. (laughs) I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We all will die physically. Whether we die through that coronavirus in a hospital bed or all of a sudden for no reason. Whether you and I die in a crash or in our bedroom, whether you and I die one at a time or in large numbers, see, that's not the issue. Why? Because there is one thing that you and I can be sure of, that every one of us physically will die. One way or the other, we'll physically die. Look, you can deny it all you want. In fact, we joke about it and say, the two things you're sure of is taxes and death, or death and taxes. That's not a joke. It's absolutely true. And so, what would Jesus say to us today? What would He say to us today? What would He say to you? What would He say to me? He would say to those of us who are asking, where is God in times like this? He would say, I am here. I've always been here. (laughs) He would want us to know that the questions are more of a red herring. Did you get that? It's more of a red herring than really genuine searching for an answer. How we die, when we die, where we die, these are immaterial because we're all going to die. Now, I just don't want you to think I'm speaking here callously about life and death. I've experienced losses in my life, as many of you have. I'll never forget the time I was 16 years old. I thought my world has come to an end when I lost my 55-year-old mother. I thought my world has come to an end. As a matter of fact, a few months later, I became suicidal. And then God met me in a very special way and assured me that I'm not finished until He says I'm finished. Meanwhile, I should serve Him. And I've been doing this now for 55 years. My mother died in her bed. Died in her bed. My wife's only sibling, her brother, 25 years old, died in a car crash. All of these are painful, painful, painful situations. I'm not denying that for a moment. My nephew, whom I sponsored to come to this country, was killed in a head-on collision in Nashville, Tennessee. Shortly after that, his father died in a hospital bed in Cairo, Egypt. Followed that, I lost all my brothers, one after the other, unaware of the pain of loss and separation. But the question that all of us should be concerned with is this, where will I spend my eternity? Heaven or hell? Where will I go after I die? Heaven or hell? 
Whose company will I be with, Jesus or Satan? What does my eternal future look like? Constant joy or endless pain and suffering? Jesus said, unless you repent, you likewise shall perish. The dividing factor between all of the seven billion people who are living on the face of the earth, the dividing factor, not ethnicity or race, no, not wealth and poverty, no, not safety or danger, no, this is not really dividing factor. The dividing factor among all human beings, everyone, all the people who are living on the face of the earth, the dividing factor between all of human beings is those who have repented and those who have not. Those who have repented and those who have not repented. That's the dividing factor. That's the only way by which God is viewing us. And so Jesus would say to every one of us, Therefore, please, please let this global pandemic and this, all of this life's disaster be a warning for you, you, yes, you. Let these events speak to you and say, be ready when your time is up. And therefore, if you haven't received the gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, you can do it today. One letter writer, in part, was explaining how the message of leading the way has brought him to Christ, and how excited he is about his new life in Christ. And here's what he said. He said, I hope this program continues, because not many programs broadcast the truth of the gospel. God bless you. Beloved, listen to me. The reason we take this message of eternal hope and eternal life to 195 countries in 26 of the most spoken languages of the world, only one reason, so that people, as many people as possibly we can reach, will be like this young man, discover new life in Christ, eternal life in Christ, will come be assured of their eternity here and now. See, Jesus' priorities are very clear. They're very clear. His supreme concern, yes, in this life, but even bigger than that, not just a short life, whatever, if it's 50 or 100 years even, still short time in comparison to eternity. See, Jesus' passion, the reason he died on that cross, so that you would ask the question, where will I spend eternity? That's the question that should occupy our attention. The question should occupy our minds and our hearts. You know what would be even a bigger tragedy? If you're watching and hearing this message, and then you would say, well, I have plenty of time to repent of my sins. For now, I'm just doing my living. That would be a bigger tragedy. Because you can't guarantee the next breath. None of us can. In fact, this would be worse than physical diseases, all of them put together. Because your soul is of immense importance to God. It is of immense importance. And that is why Jesus said, What shall profit a man or a woman or anyone if he gains the whole world 
and then loses his own soul. Listen to me. I believe with all my heart that God loves you, and the very clear indication of his love for you is that you are hearing this message. This is the clearest indication, because he created you. He made you, and he made you with an emptiness inside of you that will never be fulfilled until Jesus comes inside of you and fill it. On another occasion, Jesus told his disciples, said, hey, don't worry about he who can kill the body. Just like what I said earlier, every one of us will die. But worry about he who can destroy your soul in Hades. He's giving you one more chance to hear this message, to to hear this invitation, to receive this invitation, so that you might come to him repenting of your sins and receiving his forgiveness. Respond to this loving invitation. Will you come to him now? Will you say, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for inviting me to come to you, to repent of any sin and guilt and doubt. Forgive me. I receive you as my only loving Redeemer, Savior, and a friend. When you invite him, you can be absolutely sure that he will come. He said that. When you invite me, I will come in, and he will come. In his Spirit begins to dwell in you and give you peace in the midst of turmoil. If you need more answers, if you have questions, contact us at LTW. That stands for Leading the Way, ltw.org. We have people waiting to hear your question and answer them. Father, I thank you for yet another opportunity to hear your invitation to me to come, humbling myself before you, recognizing that I cannot save myself, that only your power can snatch me from the jaws of death and hell. I come to you, Lord Jesus. Now come to me, and I thank you that you are faithful to your promises, and when I invite you in, you come. I come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 